0: May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Vinu, we pray that your word would go forth to encourage your people, uh, that it would edify your community. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. The elementary school where I taught in Chesterfield County has a wolf as a mascot. We were the Winterpock wolves. When the faculty hung out after school, they called it howling. Every morning for announcements, we would say, the packs got your back. We really integrated this theme into everything we did. Occasionally, someone would come to school on, uh, on, uh, for special events in one of those adult-sized, friendly wolf costumes. And I'm not sure where they got it, but the wolf would, you know, high-five the students and greet, greet all of them, and it was like, you know, it was famous. But uh, whenever this happened, inevitably... Students would come up to me and say, Senor Wine, you are in the wolf costume. They, they weren't asking me. They just assumed that it was me. I guess, you know, everyone thought I was the wolf. I guess they thought, you know, who else would do something like that? But it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I was never able to figure out who it was so I could tell the kids, no, it's not me, it's this other person. It was always a, a, a mystery, but I, I had no alibi because, you know, we were never in the same place at the same time, so it was, uh, it was troubling. But it got, kind of got me thinking, is it good to be a wolf? Is that a good thing? What if someone prophesied over you and your descendants and said that you would be a ravenous wolf? How would you feel about that? What would you make of that? Well, today we're going to talk about just such a prophetic blessing. It comes from the scene where Jacob gathers his 12 sons around him and blesses them before he dies near the end of the book of Genesis. So this is what it says in Genesis 49, 27. And so let's read it together, shall we? Okay, here we go. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Yes, so today we're going to talk about the journey of Benjamin the wolf. Actually, the three wolves of Benjamin. But why, you ask? Why would I talk about this today? Well, prophecies don't just speak of the person, but the final blessing of Jacob was really meant for the whole tribe of Benjamin. And often prophecy in the scriptures, it works like a cycle. It comes, uh, comes up over and over in new ways. Or you can think of it as uh, like a mountain range in which there are many hills which fulfill that uh, prophetic word. Uh, but when viewed from above, you can kind of see the whole mountain range of how that prophecy is brought forth. And so the tribe of Benjamin the wolf had some notable descendants, two of whom are Mordecai and Esther, the heroes Of the Purim story. This Monday night, as we've mentioned, is officially the beginning of Purim, although we will celebrate as a community on Saturday. And uh, today, the Shabbat before Purim is a special Shabbat, as I mentioned before, called Shabbat Zachor. That's right. And so it's the Shabbat of remembrance. Remembrance of what, you might be wondering? Well, I guess we'll have to see. But for now, let's begin with the first descendant of Benjamin we're going to discuss today, the first wolf, who is introduced like this in 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2. There was a Benjaminite, or Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphiah, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named... Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. This, of course, is the famous King Saul. So the question is, how does King Saul fulfill the wolf prophecy, devouring in the day and dividing the spoil at night? The Midrash known as Genesis Rabbah, which is kind of a rabbinic imagining of or interpretation of, uh, of the book of Genesis. In chapter 99, it says this. So this is what the rabbis thought. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. The verse speaks of the king that comes from Benjamin. That is who? Saul. Just as the wolf seizes, so Saul sees the monarchy, as it is said. So Saul took over the kingdom, over Israel. In the morning, devouring the prey. And at evening, he fought against his enemies on all sides, from 1 Samuel. And at evening, dividing the spoil. So they're seeing in King Saul the fulfillment of this prophetic word. I think the description of Saul as a ravenous wolf is quite appropriate. What do we remember about King Saul? Do we remember anything? Remember he started off pretty well. He showed some promise and a little bit of character, but he was impetuous. He made some rash decisions, especially with regard to the Amalekites. One of the themes of the story of Esther is the rise of the evil Haman. Ah, you were ready for it. Who tried to destroy the Jewish people. Haman was the descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites. This is why this Shabbat is called Shabbat Zachor. We read text to remember the evil of the Amalekites, including in the Torah and in our Haftarah portion. Did you you recognize that Juan read about the Amalekites and King Saul? That's why, because this is a special reading for this Shabbat. So how did the wolf of Benjamin, King Saul, deal with Amalek the longtime enemy of Israel and enemy of God. Now, this idea that we're going to read about, is it's hard for us, for our modern sense of morality to understand. But it is a part of Scripture, and so we must sometimes hunt and seek out the spiritual truths underneath the text. After all, we're at our first wolf, King Saul. Perhaps the subsequent wolves of Benjamin, maybe they mature over time. But uh, we're kind of at our first iteration here. Um, so let's check out the story in our Haftar portion, uh, which we read a little earlier. But let's take a closer look um, for Shabbat Zachor. And let's read it with an open mind, and we'll notice some things along the way. Does it sound good? All right. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen Now to the message from the Lord. And what do you think is the word for listen there? Shema, okay? How many of you think that Saul is a good shema-er? He's a good listener. Anybody? David, you think he's a good listener? Oh boy. Oh boy. All right. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Okay, so this is this is hard, right? But let's let's take a look at it. So the word for totally destroy uh, in the Hebrew it 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 also is connected to the idea of things that are devoted to God. Right? There's a devotion. You're giving it over to the Lord. And, of course, we we understand the word Shema is listen, okay? So that's what he's telling Saul to do. You need to make sure you listen, which doesn't just mean hear, but also means what? Understand and obey, right? We talked about that. So the Amalekites, this was an evil people as a whole. They would influence Israel toward evil, and they did in every... Generation. There's many iterations of this. If you look back in the in the history of the text, it's always the Amalekites. And of course, here we have the first version of the Wolf of Benjamin, King Saul. And we have the idea in scripture that there are um, sometimes people or people groups that represent things. So the Amalekites represent evil, right? Just like in the Passover story, who represents evil? It's the Pharaoh, right? So we understand that this is done in the text, right? And it's not just an enemy of Israel, that they, but it's an en- enemy of God. And so the, the rabbis have imagined from this that Amalek represents not just uh, the Amalekites, not just the, this people, but it represents evil in the world, right? And so that could be evil inside, inside our, ourselves or it could be evil out there. So the rabbi said that Amalek represents the evil inclination, right? What would that be? That would be like lusting or enmity between a husband and wife or hatred against the righteous. This is what one of the rabbis said. In other words, we're talking about the other kingdom, right? There's two kingdoms in the the scriptures, right? And this is the other one, okay? So does, does that make a little bit more sense as we talk about the Amalekites? To see some nods? Yes? Okay. All right. And the other key word here is, um, it says, now listen to the message from the Lord. And the word in Hebrew is for message is kol, which means voice or sound. Okay. Can you remember that? So Shema, we need to listen to the voice of the Lord. Okay. Or Saul does. Okay, and David here is optimistic that he will do so, but I'm not so sure, so we'll see. All right, so continuing on. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. So he did not put to the sword Agag, who's the ancestor of who? Haman. Right. And he also didn't destroy the uh, the spoil, right? That's the, the calves and the, and the sheep and everything. They were the, uh, These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. He is not Shamad to my coal, right? My voice. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Oh, so I guess he was pleased with himself, yeah. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Is that Entirely true? Not quite. Okay. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? Guess what the word for, for the bleating is? It's the coal. Samuel hears the voice, the sound of what? Meh. Meh. Nah. Did you destroy everything? Yes. Ma. Oh, that's just a uh, uh, the, the army, they have a cough. They're mad, <coughs> right? Yeah, okay. So Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to, uh, oh, sacrifice to the Lord, your God. But we, you know, we totally destroyed the rest. So we're going to use it for a good thing, right? I, we, I obeyed, yeah, I'm doing good. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? So notice here. He's set up above all the, the head of all the tribes of Israel. So this would be the tribe of who's Saul represent? Which tribe? Benjamin, right? So the youngest tribe is set over all the other tribes. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. In other words, it wasn't he that did it. It was the the people, right? <laughs> it's always It's always helpful to shift the blame, right? But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? What's the word for obeying here, do you think? Shema. Exactly. Is it better to Do the burnt offerings, or is it better to listen, to understand, to obey? To obey Shomea, like Shema, is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So now we've seen how King Saul dealt with Amalek, and his shamaing problem. Perhaps the next wolf of Benjamin, who would that be that we're going to talk about today? Who's the next Benjaminite? I'll give you a hint, it's coming up. Purim. Esther, that's right. So we're going to look at her and see if she does a little bit better. Again, Genesis Rabbah 99, this time commenting on Queen Esther. Oh, we've got some music going, that's great. I like a little background. Okay. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning dividing the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. The verse speaks of the queen that comes from Benjamin. That is who? Esther. Yay. Yay. All right. <laughs> Just as the wolf seizes, so Esther sees the monarchy. Esther was taken into the king's house. In the morning devouring the prey... On that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, to Esther the queen. <laughs> and at evening dividing the spoil, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Right? Okay, so do, I, I know you're, you're busy, you know, participating in the booing and the yaying, but do you see what's, <laughs> what's happening here? right? She's, she's fulfilling this prophecy of Benjamin, right? She's being a wolf, okay? Saul's character, I believe, is meant to parallel the character of Esther. If you look in the story, there's a lot of connections. And one of the resources I found while I was doing uh, research uh, for this sermon, I found a nifty chart. It was created by Yitzhak Berger in the Journal of Biblical Literature. So let's just take a look at this. I don't know if you can see it is it too small yes it's too small all right uh can we blow it up a little bit can we zoom in all right well so i'll just read it okay so this is comparing saul and esther all right the two the two wolves here saul the lord will bestow your royal position on another more worthy than you right esther and let the king bestow vashti's royal position on another more worthy than she right? So it's the same Hebrew words. Why did the biblical authors do that? Because they're saying, look at this connection between these two stories. There was a man from Benjamin whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekarath, son of Aphiah, son of a Benjaminite. And then the parallel in Esther, there was a Jewish man in the fortress Shushan whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. So they're both Sons of Kish, who was the father of King Saul, right? Okay, so we have another parallel. We read this earlier. Saul is good-looking, right? Who else is good-looking? Esther, right, right? So those details are not in there for us to think, oh, there's some attractive people, right? But the biblical authors are saying there's a connection between these two. Um, so there's a, lot, there's a lot in here. There's, uh, there's the, the humility. They decline to reveal things when they're selected for royalty. Remember when Saul is anointed king, he doesn't tell his family right away. Do you remember that? He's kind of like, oh, I don't know why Samuel was here. Maybe he uh, would just wanted to visit us, right? Um, but um, in the same way, Esther doesn't reveal her, her royal position and her identity right away. Okay, so there's a lot of there's a lot of those connections. Esther is presented through all of this as the new and improved King Saul. Okay, the next iteration of the wolf, but perhaps more successful. Would you agree? Yeah. The problem with Saul is that later in his life, he attacks David without reason. He he gets jealous. Right. David is from the house of what? house of Judah, right? So this is infighting again between the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. That's not good, right? It goes all the way back to the conflict between Joseph and his brothers. We don't want to go back to that. We want to go forward, right? Okay. Esther, on the other hand, what does she do for all the other tribes? She saves all the Jews, all the rest of the tribes. She is a savior, right, in this story. She's more like Moses in her character than like King Saul even though there are all these connections to Saul the, the story is showing us that she was able to do better she is a devouring wolf toward the descendant of Amalek Haman whereas Saul right <laughs> whereas Saul was kind of, King Saul was kind of like iffy on that he kind of uh, didn't really take care of uh, of the evil of the Amalekites she did right She rescues her people, and she fights the the Amalekites, the descendant of of Agag, and she brings Shalom to the rest of the sons of Jacob. Okay? Were you with me so far? All right, so now we're going to talk about the final wolf of Benjamin. We're we're going, going to look at who actually has the same name as the first one. It's another Saul. Can you believe it? There's another translation of the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And it was widely used by the writers of the New Testament and by the early uh, Messianic community. The Greek, Greek version of our wolf text in Genesis reads a little bit different. And in it, they saw the third and final wolf of Benjamin that we're going to look at today. So let's take a look. Let's read it together. Benjamin as a ravening wolf shall eat still in the morning, and at evening gives food. So not dividing the spoil, but giving food. Interesting, right? The end is a little bit different based on it's a different interpretation of the Hebrew text. This is describing a wolf of Benjamin who was a ravenous wolf in the morning. But in the evening, he was a provider. He was a feeder of sheep the early community leaders saw in the prophecy the one who wrote these words in Romans 11, verse 1. Have you figured out who it is? All right. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I, too, am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Of course, we're talking about the apostle Paul, right, also known as Saul, or Shaul. Tertullian, the early Christian theologian, born in 155 CE, he wrote this about our central prophecy from Jacob over Benjamin. And just like the rabbis who applied it to King Saul and to Queen Esther, he applies it to someone. Even Genesis long ago promised Paul to me. Among those figures and prophetical blessings over his sons, when Jacob had got to Benjamin, he said, Benjamin is a ravening wolf. Until morning, he will still devour, and in the evening, will distribute food. He foresaw that Paul would arise of the tribe of Benjamin, a ravening wolf devouring until the morning, that is, one who in his early life would harass the Lord's flock as a persecutor of the Messianic community, and then in evening, would distribute food, that is, in declining age, would feed Messiah's sheep as the doctor of the Gentiles." The third wolf of Benjamin, the Apostle Paul, also wrote this about warring and violence in Ephesians 6, and I think it applies to our understanding of who the Amalekites were. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Just like the rabbis after him, Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul, he understood that the real Amalek, the real Haman that we are fighting against is not other people. It's not flesh and blood, but it is the evil within ourselves, and it is the evil within. In this world, Saul started off persecuting and hunting down Messianic Jews, but God transformed him to be a blessing to the nations, to feed the Gentile sheep who were hungry for the love of Messiah Yeshua. May God blot out the name of Amalek, the name of Haman, the name of evil on this Shabbat of remembrance. And may we be like the wolf of Benjamin, the apostle Paul, who devours evil, but feeds the sheep. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these narratives that intersect in our scriptures, Lord. We thank you for the stories and how we can really learn from them. We can learn from their mistakes. We can learn from what they did well, and we can... uh, We can uh, grow in the love of Messiah. We pray that you would help us to be like the wolf of Benjamin, like the Apostle Paul, who toward evil, he devoured it and he fought against evil, the forces of evil, by trusting in you and by putting on the armor of the Lord. But also, he was gentle and he fed the Messianic community, especially his blessing as an apostle to all the nations of the earth and uh, that you used this one Messianic Jew for, to write so many letters, so much of our New Testament, and to be a blessing. He is truly an inspiration to us. So help us, Lord, to, to walk after him as he walked after Messiah. And in Messiah's name we pray. Amen.